Hello, welcome to the show up dad. This is a podcast for hardworking fathers looking to level up their fathering skills and be more than just a paycheck or provider for the home. Today, I want to welcome Ben Holmes, aka at working class 013. He has been married five years to his wife, Kaylee. They have two beautiful daughters, Hadley, four years old and Leighton, one year old. Ben is a journeyman lineman out of local 66. That's in Houston, Texas. Ben's been 10 years in the trade. He started as a crane operator at Local 47. Uh, He did his apprenticeship in Houston. He has been a journeyman lineman for five years, and he spent one and a half years working as a business representative and organizer at the Union Hall. He is currently tramping in San Francisco, California. Welcome to the show up, brother. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely, dude. I just want to uh, have you kick things off today by having you give our listeners an overview of your upbringing, if you don't mind. Yeah, for sure. So I was born in Portland, Oregon in 1983. Um, We lived up on Mount Hood for a couple of years. I was the third of four kids. My dad had uh, my oldest sister and my older brother. Uh, We have different moms. So I was three of four uh, when I came along. Um, I grew up in Southern Oregon uh, for the most part. Um, my first memories yeah so we lived in southern Oregon uh, with my mom my dad um, little house little town Roseburg is what it was called Um, some of my first memories there was learning to ride a bike at like a real young age baseball games with my dad my dad was a coach for a little league team Um, I remember all the kids there teaching me how to skid my bike and burning through tires at, I think I was like, you know, three years old or whatever. Uh, so I grew up, grew up there. Um, my, my parents separated at some point, I don't really remember when, but they separated, my dad moved out. And uh, so early on, I, I remember going and staying with my dad um, at like his car lot. He was a car salesman, used car salesman. Mm-hmm. And like he slept on a couch there. And uh, it's funny. I think I was like, I was probably still like three. And that's like my first memories of, of, of life is, uh, you know, just, it was kind of weird. Like going and sleeping at a business, I guess. on like the weekends or whenever it was that I was with my dad. Um so yeah, we lived there until I was like six years old. And then we picked up and jammed to California. My mom and my younger brother and I, mm-hmm. while my dad was at work one day. And uh, yeah, hmm. kind of moved to SoCal, it moved in with my aunt and just kind of started growing up, moved on as a, as a kid, I guess, you know, summers, mm-hmm. summers in Oregon with my dad. Um, I was heavy into like baseball, roller hockey, you know, big in sports, riding bicycles, stuff like that. So Mm. it's kind of how it started off, you know, Yeah. earlier on in life anyway. So Ben, I wanted to ask you who in your family, lots of camping and fishing trips. Mm -hmm. So Ben, I I wanted to ask you, brother. Who in your family had the most impact on how you raise your children today? And why did they have that impact? 
looking back? Um, that's a good, that's a good question. Honestly, uh, I would say that the, the, the person that had the most impact, um, would be my best friend, Josh. And, uh, I met him when I was like 19 mm -hmm. and, um, you know, I was like just getting into kind of like partying, moved in with some guys that were older than me. One of them was an apprentice lineman. That was how I ended up getting interest in the trade, but, uh, Josh was just always really down to earth. Um, he eventually got married. He's the only one of us that got married and we were all roommates. And then, um, they had a daughter London and just seeing the way Josh was like with, with her and with his wife, he was such a, still is such a mm -hmm. good husband, such a good dad. Um, when she came along, everything changed. When we got off work, the things that, that we used to go do changed, right? Like he, he wanted to be with his daughter. He wanted to be with his wife. And, um, you know, me being like best friends with them and then living with them for a while, it, it changed the things I did at the time somewhat too. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I, I wanted to do the things he was doing. So we would, we would go do stuff that you would, could do with a baby and stuff that you would go do with your family rather than just, you know, kind of running amok. And to this day, he has, three kids now and uh yeah he's still probably one of the best dads out there so i've always looked up to him for that and tried to model the type of father i was mm -hmm. on things that i saw just kind of hanging out with him and and his family at the time mm -hmm. yeah it seems that uh you know that lack of a father in your life you know to I me mean, that you had that you're able to still find that in someone else in a mentor per se, you know, your buddy, Josh, like you talked about. And is it safe to say that a lot of the stuff that you carry into your family and to the way you respond to your beautiful daughters is something derived from what you picked up from Josh or from your dad? Uh, it's, it's somewhat of a mixture of both. I think uh, as I was growing up, I've always been very self-aware of my situation um you know in all aspects I've, I've always evaluated things and try to you know thought into them on maybe why things were the way they were so a lot of the stuff um that i went through you know with the relationship on and off with my father i think have played a bigger uh a bigger role but just my buddy josh just seeing you know he's to this day he was always a provider you know nice house nice car they had everything they needed um if work slowed down one place, he would go do whatever it took, uh, you know, to take care of them. And so, yeah, he, he definitely did it right. And then I think a lot of the ways that I saw my dad do it on how not to do it, um, definitely like played into it as far as the type of dad that I became. Yeah, that, that's pretty awesome that even at that age, you're able to kind of glean you, you, you took from the good and and the bad, and you learn from both, you know what I mean? And, and that's awesome. That's one of the things that we always try to stress to our fathers on the show up dad is, hey, man, not everybody had a blueprint on how to raise a child. Okay, we didn't know. So we got to take the good and the bad and utilize the good, you know what I mean? And learn from our past mistakes. So that's, that's awesome that you're able to do that. I wanted to ask you, Ben, was your dad, now talking back about your dad, your biological father, okay, was he more of a show me dad or a tell me dad? Do you remember? 
so most of the time he had to be a tell me dad because we were in different places. I lived in Southern California with my mom and then he was, he was always in Oregon. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I remember, you know, he, he'd always, you know, he told us he loved us and we believe, I believed him, mm-hmm. but a lot of the things that the experiences had to be told, right. Because we weren't, we weren't there. And, uh, and when we would go for summers, um, he always did the best he could. He'd pack in as much, fun stuff to go do he was very involved when we were there for the most part we go fishing uh go catch crab you know and at the ocean uh he was always really interested in my baseball because my dad was a baseball player as well Mm -hmm. so he showed a lot of interest in that um but i think he was more of a he had to be more of a tell me dad just you know based on the situation that we were in yeah so, hmm. so, so it sounds to me, Ben, like your father, you know, just because of the circumstances you guys were in and stuff like that, that even though he wasn't around, he tried to make the best of his time with you guys. He was what we call an intentional father. So when he did spend that time with you, he made it count, correct? Because we can't always be with our kids. You know, prime example is you, you're on the road, you're separated from your family, countless other guys, I, myself, you know, when I was on the road, you know, but it's all about being that intentional. Now, with that being said, Ben, what is the most memorable thing that you remember growing up with your father? The most memorable would probably be the long drives. Like when we would go up there, we were always doing something. We were always going somewhere. uh, And and when we would drive, I, I remember it was ne- we were never in a hurry. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we would take a road, and this was back before GPS, right? And yeah. so he'd be like, oh, we can go this way and go through the mountains. And my brother and I are like, yeah, hell yeah, let's go that way. And I have no clue how he even found his way to get there. Uh, I don't remember him looking at any maps or anything, but yeah, we were taking logging roads and um, just kind of destination nowhere when we go up there for the summer. It was, mm-hmm. it was all about us. And, um, that's definitely something that's, that's a characteristic that's carried over with my kids is I was, I want to be on an adventure with them. I want them to feel like it's all about them. And, uh, yeah, when they come up, they come up here, uh, with my wife every four weeks for eight days. Mm-hmm. And I definitely, I sleep about four hours. I think the whole time when they're here, uh, sometimes this last trip I had to work two double shifts while they were here. And so I had three hours in between. So rather than just like crashing in the parking lot, I just drove the 30 minutes back to the trailer and just hung out with them for an hour before I had to head back. Because even just that hour, at least I got to see them that day. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. It, that's better than nothing, I guess. Right. Absolutely brother. And you know, that that's time that, you know, I always talk about time being lost, right? We can't get back time. Well, that's time that you actually took to be intentional with your kids. So I got to commemorate you on that. I got to commemorate your commemorate your father for being intentional as well. Um, it's pretty interesting that you said that you took that hour to go just, you know, 30 minutes, spend an hour with your children to go back. You know what I mean? And I remember even in my days, 
instead of leaving on a Sunday, I would leave on Monday morning at two 30 in the morning, just so I could have that extra night with my kids. You know what I mean? And then spend a 14 hour day at, at work. You know, those are long Mondays. Let me tell you, you know what I mean? But we do that thing as a show up dad. That's what we do. You know, we're intentional and to our very own hurt sometimes, you know what I mean? We try to be intentional with our children and spend as much time as possible. Cause that's the, that's the most precious commodity for our children is our time. So I want to commemorate you on that, dude. That that's, that's yeah, pretty, absolutely. pretty awesome. Absolutely. Now I want to transition real quick, Ben. I know that you had told me that on April 29th, you'll be eight years clean, right? And sober. Now you that's credit. Correct. Yeah. Tom- tomorrow, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you credit all of your success in life to that freedom you found in that sobriety. So I want to ask you, what was the catalyst for change? Like take us down that road to recovery, brother, if you don't mind share with our audience. Yeah, for sure. Um, so it's, it started out, you know, I moved out at 19, hanging out with older guys, um, using my buddy's ID to get in places that I wasn't old enough to get in kind of um, started as like a, here and there thing, you know, just having fun, whatever. And it, one day I just realized uh, I was 27 years old. Mm-hmm. I've been doing the same thing for a long time. A lot of things I didn't want to do. And uh, I just surrendered. Um, at that point, all the friends had gone away. All the fun had gone away. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was like heavily suicidal, um, very ashamed. And I don't care so much about what other people think. I care what I think yes. of myself, right? Because at the end of the day, that's who's really going to carry carry the load, and that's who's going to push forward is is yourself on on your own um, reflection of yourself. And I just I didn't like what I saw, mm-hmm. and the stuff I was doing was telling me that this I was done. You know, like that was it. Like I thought it had me, and um, thank God I just took a chance and. I checked myself into rehab mm-hmm. and uh, it was the best thing I ever could have done. I had to learn to surrender um, that I was powerless against the addiction. Mm-hmm. And once I was able to accept that, uh, I feel like I never looked back. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to learn more about why I was doing things. It wasn't what I was doing necessarily because once I was back in right mind with myself uh you know each it didn't matter which drug it was it didn't matter if it was alcohol once that was involved my intentions changed mm-hmm. and um my plans changed and everything i said i was going to do changed and things i said i wasn't going to do were definitely going to happen and it was a it was a switch and that's why to this day i know that um you know those same mistakes i was making and um that person that i was mm-hmm. could come right back you know, if, if I chose to go back and, and live that life. And so showing up late for work has never been an issue since I got sober. Mm-hmm. Um, doing things that I said I was going to do and following through has never been an issue uh, since I got sober. Um, my wife's never seen me drink. Uh, I was sober before I, like, she came into my life, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, my kids will never see me drink that's something my daughter already understands kind of that um daddy doesn't drink the same stuff as other dads and so that'll be a conversation for later in life right and yeah kind of 
I'm holding on to that one. But um, yeah, everything, just my character in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, I definitely wouldn't have the things I have today, especially like my family and the relationship I have with my wife um, without those tools that I learned to, to be able to be sober and deal with um, with life on life ter- life's terms. Mm-hmm. So. Hmm. No, that's, that's pretty amazing, dude. And congratulate you on your eight years clean brother. Once again, I mean, that takes a big man to, to see that, to, to not be able to have to sedate, you know what I mean? And just deal with problems head on. I think that's a true man. So, you know, that's awesome, bro. Um, we had a past guest on here. I don't know if you heard it. His name is Mark Jennison. And he, uh, he talked on the, the podcast that drinking and drugs are just symptoms, not the problem. Now, in your recovery, what did you find that triggered you to use? And were you able to recognize the root of that abuse? Uh, yeah, I, I definitely, the, what triggered me was celebration at first. It was, um, like I said, we'd go out, we were having fun. That's how it always started, right? Or at least that's what I told myself. Um, oh, well, I'm at the club. Like, it'll be fine. You know, oh, I'm going to Vegas. That's why I'm doing it. It's Friday night. It's Saturday night. Then next thing you know, oh, well, it's Tuesday night. Uh, and then then it became, um, well, I got to be able to wake up for work. If I go to sleep, then I'm not going to wake up. So I, I got to. And that's kind of how it rolled in, but I I definitely agree that it's it is a symptom for sure because it's like sickness, right? Everybody mm-hmm. say like you know this COVID crap. Everybody has a different symptom from the same thing, right? They all react differently, supposedly, and mm-hmm. uh, drugs and alcohol are definitely the same way. I know people that can have one beer. I know people that can have twenty beers, and they seem to be able to go on in their life. Um, I'm just, I react differently to it. I think I've mm-hmm. got a a weaker uh, immune system when it comes to that stuff because it completely incapacitates me. Um, mm-hmm. You know, as far as you're functioning, but you're not, you're not functioning um, highly. Mm-hmm. Like a, that's, that's for sure. I, I was able to function and by function, I was, I was able to hide it for a long time. And, and when you're doing that stuff, that counts as functioning, right? Show mm-hmm. up for show up for work, uh, pass a drug test, um, stuff like that. That's that was functioning to me at the time. So mm-hmm. I thought, and then now, eight years later, the life I have, my career, my family, this is functioning, mm-hmm. right? Being able to to provide, to enjoy, and try to balance everything. Um, it's just crazy to think back like uh, that I, I thought that there was nothing more to life for me to see. I felt like it was um, like punishment. I remember telling somebody like life is punishment for me, you know, right before I got sober. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, just the more time that went on, the better life has gotten. And I'm definitely uh, I'm definitely functioning uh, in the right capacity today. That's for sure. Go ahead. I wanted to circle back. You said that life was punishment to you. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Yeah. So 
I mean, I guess what that was, that was my take on life, right? Life wasn't punishment. I was punishment. I was punishing myself. Um, the further I got into like the drugs and the alcohol, the more mm-hmm. excuses and justifications came out. Uh, I was like full blown addicted to the more the drugs at that point, the alcohol kind of went away. Um, it was still an issue whenever, if it did come about, but I just strayed away from it because I was focused on other stuff. Mm-hmm. But I, I literally felt like, um, like just pain. Like I was just, I was, I was pained inside a lot of, a lot of issues that went back with growing up with, with my dad, all the lost time. Um, our relationship severed, like when I was about 14 mm-hmm. over ch- back child support not me personally, but the, the state, you know, took a bunch of money out of his business account and that pissed him off at my mom. And, um, you know, he eventually lost his driver's license, which to this day, he's never had a driver's license still. Mm -hmm. And all those things that really shouldn't have involved me as a kid. Um, a lot of that stuff just, I guess, holding it all in. And then, so that becomes an excuse, right. Instead of dealing with it and you say, Oh, well, this is why, and this is why. And then, it all just started to manifest, man. And I just fell so far into like a depression and an embarrassment. And, uh, yeah, I I honestly, at that time, I did not, I felt like I did not want to be here anymore. I didn't want to ever have to face anyone and tell them how far I had fallen into it. Uh, I tried so long on my own to try to stop that. I I didn't think it was possible. Like I did not think I was going to, um, I was going to be able to, to kick it. But at the same time, here I am, right. Mm-hmm. A year and a half straight of, of smoking meth. Right. And I go into treatment and I'm looking at all these people, like they're just dirty, disgusting drug addicts. And that, that was my justification. Like, Oh, I, I'm not like them. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm not for whatever reason. I had a job. Um, you know, I got a nice, I have, I still have my nice truck. <laughs> that was all I had. Like I never had pots of pissing, but I had my truck. And I had my camper. Like mm-hmm. those were the two things that, that I had left. I had, you know, my condo was gone, you know, all that stuff. Things had just slowly fallen apart. Um, that's where I felt like it was punishment, right? Like it just, life was not, um, life did not meet up to my expectations at the time. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, I was blaming everybody, but the source, which was myself. And so mm-hmm. that's, that's where those, uh, those feelings I think came from at the time was mm-hmm. just there was nobody to blame. And that's where I guess your mind starts trying to figure out the easy way out. And yeah, definitely not the right way, but that's what that stuff does to you sometimes. So, And it's crazy when we get on that cycle, Ben, because, you know, we're in depression as men, you know, and I talk about this all the time. Okay. Different psychologists and stuff like that. They all say the same thing. That men, since we're boys, we're never taught how to really express our emotions, right? You know, since we play sports, you know, you fall down, you hurt yourself. What do they tell you? Get up, kid, you know, rub some dirt on it, right? So we're taught in that aspect to really push down those emotions, okay? You're not a man if you cry. You're not a man if you deal with this, right? So what happens? As men, we handle depression differently than women. We're, we're completely wired different than them. So as men, we suppress those issues and then we act out that depression in anger. 
So that's why you have these flashes, these anger, this, 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 this resentment, you know what I mean? And it turns to bitterness, you know, Mike Seth, I, I, um, I listen to Mike Ness a lot, you know, I grew up listening to him and I love one of the things he says in one of his songs, it's how can you love if you can't love yourself? I'm sure you've heard that, that song, you know what I mean? And it's so true because oh, yeah. it, I got a social D tattoo on my arm. <laughs> yeah. See, so you know what I'm talking about, but it's such a true statement. How can you love yeah. other people if you can't love yourself? And, you know, when you have that, you don't have that self-worth that was taught to us by our father and how to deal with these emotions. This is the way we become as men, you know, we're, we're a, a mess. And then we have to self-soothe and self-medicate through drugs and alcohol or pornography or whatever it is, you know what I mean? These addictive behaviors that we pick up as men because we're driven men. Okay. So then what happens is we start acting out in these issues. We start taking alcohol. We're already depressed, but we don't understand the symptoms. And what is alcohol? It's a depressant. You know what I mean? It brings you down even lower. So now you get caught up in this cycle to where it's, it's, it's never ending. You know what I mean? It's good to see that you had that moment of clarity. I like to call it to where you're like, dude, I'm going down the wrong hole. This is bad. I'm making wrong decisions. And at the end of the day, it was your choice. And I just want to say that's awesome, bro. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate it. It's, you're, you're spot on about, um, about you know, the addictive behaviors and the depression. How You might stop one thing. Maybe mm-hmm. you'll, you say, oh, I'm going to tone this down. But what you don't realize is that as that level goes down, this other level goes up. And most of the time with addiction and you know, the negative behaviors, the thing that goes up is not going in the right direction. Up is not always the right direction, um, depending on what what you're discussing or what you're involved in, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're you're dead on with that one. Um, that's a big thing with drugs and alcohol is not trading one for the other. Uh, mm-hmm. Don't don't stop drinking and then become addicted to food, and that's where the recovery part of sobriety comes in. You, if you just stop drinking, you know, you're dry. You're, you're not recovering. You're just, you're just um, withholding from doing it. Right. And it's like mm-hmm. that clock is ticking and ticking. You have to replace whatever you were doing. The negative with something positive. Mm-hmm. And you also, you have to start to recover. You have to start realizing um, like, what were your issues? What was causing that? And you have to, you have to figure out how to, how to fix that. And um, a lot of my issues I know were, was stuff just in my childhood, right? Like I was a, I was a daddy's boy and, uh, it always bothered me that my parents were separated. Um, even during the summer, that was never enough time for me. Like, I remember feeling like just going and seeing my dad for the summer was not enough time. Mm-hmm. And so with my kids, um, even now my wife and I were, we're making plans to bring them out here because a week, every four weeks, it's not enough. No, I know it's not enough for them. And it damn sure is not enough for me. Uh, not to mention that we have a, a marriage to maintain, right? Sometimes we get caught up in just being parents rather than husband and wife. Mm-hmm. And so my wife and I were very, very vocal. We're, we're a team. Mm-hmm. And so that's the stuff we're working on right now is this job makes career sense. It makes financial sense for us and uh so we're just kind of working together to find a medium on how to get our family back together and make it mm-hmm. make it all work uh mm-hmm. the best way possible you know for everybody involved so definitely definitely trying to uh 
trying to make the best of the time. That's for sure. So let's touch back on that there, Ben, because you guys are living in two different States, right? Like so many of us, so many of us fathers who are out there to provide right now, what do you do to stay present in your family's life while on the road? Like, what are some of the things you could share with our audience? Some different ideas and stuff. Uh, staying present, it's also having somewhat of a schedule. Mm-hmm. I work nights. So when they're waking up, I'm going to sleep. So, I mean, my daughter, the older, my four-year-old, she somewhat understands that. Mm-hmm. But um, a lot of FaceTime. If I, if I can try to catch them when they're waking up and I'm going to sleep, I'll always make that phone call. Um, they, the little things like the ring doorbell. I went for, for a while, you know, since I'm not there, my ring doorbell goes off. I don't really pay. I stopped paying attention to it. Mm-hmm. Right. It's just like, ding, 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 ding. Well, then at some point we start, you know, we started talking on the ring they can't see me, but they can hear me. And my one-year-old is ecstatic about that ring. Mm-hmm. When my wife is coming in with them from the car, mm-hmm. she starts freaking out. She wants to push that button because she knows that there's a good chance that daddy's voice is going to come out of it. And so I try to make a real conscious effort to, to even if I'm sleeping, if I hear that ring doorbell, um, I'll jump on there and, and talk to them. And I, I posted on Instagram the other day, a little video. I went back and screen recorded it because um, just the joy in their faces from that little tiny thing. Uh, I don't know. It's the, Priceless. my Instagram is, is it's a pretty good reflection of the person that I am, I think. So I like to share those real moments because my sister is in another state. My brother is in another state. Um, all my friends that are spread out everywhere. I like them to be able to see kind of, you know, what I'm doing since everybody's so spread apart mm-hmm. and that's, that's what I like about social media is taking a little bit of your personality, a little bit of your life and, you know, sharing it with your friends and maybe some strangers too, I guess. Absolutely. So, little things like postcards. My daughter loves postcards. Mm-hmm. So a little thing to get that in the mail and send that, you know, every once in a while. Um, that That's a big deal to her. Send it, send her a different little California postcard. This is her little, she thinks it's her little vacation spot. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just stuff like that so that they know I'm thinking about them and um, that even though I'm here working, mm-hmm. they know that, you know, that I'm doing it for them. Yeah. Like they, they, they understand that. And, and I think that's so important too, you know what I mean? Especially when they reach that level of understanding, you know, that you're always constantly communicating with them at their level to let them know, Hey, this is what daddy has to do. He's providing. This isn't, I'm not running away from you. You know, it's not anything you did. Cause you never know what goes on in the child, in the mind of a child, right? You know, they'll grow up thinking, well, why did dad's always staying away from me? They grow up thinking that we didn't like them or whatever. So that communication is so important. You know what I mean? To be able to, to let them know that this is what dad does. You know what I mean? And then to make that time like you were doing, being intentional, making those daily deposits in their lives. You know what I mean? So with that being said, I wanted to ask you, brother, on a professional level, I know it's hard, you know, me being a tradesman as well, being a lineman and going on the road and stuff like that. How did you stay focused and dedicated at work 
and living a separate life, being a family man as well. What advice could you give our listeners in a similar situation? Uh, you just have, you have to be, I mean, as cliche as it sounds, I feel like this is a common answer, but you have to be present, mm-hmm. like where your feet are. When, when I go to work, um, I'm very conscious about, about the tasks that I'm on. I don't take anything for granted. I know how hazardous this job can be. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's like, like I was listening to Dell on here on on your show uh, on the way to work yesterday, and I, I've heard Dell's story m- multiple times. And every time I hear it, I I get something else out of it. And I think I think that people who have been through experiences like that, uh, I don't know if they realize how much they impact those of us that are still doing the job um, consciously, right? at work i'm very intentional on my movements i'm intentional on safety uh i feel like if anything ever did happen to me um it won't be because i was breaking a rule or because i was purposely cutting a corner i'm very intentional on that i'm I'm with that like that with the apprentices um ultimately our job right is to show up on time and work safe if you can do that in this trade for the most part, you'll be able to keep employment for, for the most part. That's, that's what we're supposed to do. And, um, when, when I'm at work, I'm at work and I mean, I enjoy it. I love this job, mm-hmm. but I, I, when it comes time to, to do the thing, you know, you're watching your brothers, your brothers are watching you and you, you really have to, uh, you have to focus. But then also when you go home, you have to be able to turn that lineman off. You have to be present there too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when I was when I was a newer, newer, newer lineman, um, you know, carrying a bigger load, like just went from being the student to the teacher. I definitely was. I would be thinking about what we were doing the next day. Uh, oh, if we if we cut jumpers here and we do this, that would be better. And uh, that's something that has kind of faded away as as I became a little more comfortable, I guess. Mm-hmm. But um, working at the union hall, I was not able to separate that. I was not able to be present um, with my family because the phone never stopped ringing. And every time, if I didn't answer that call, I wasn't doing my job. I wasn't helping whoever was calling me for help. And that was why I ultimately left that position was I was not able to separate work and family um, in that position. And so that balance has to be there, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't have to be 50-50 because that's not the way the world works. Mm-hmm. Uh, the scale is not always going to be level. And I think that's like a common misperception Misperception mm-hmm. that people think it has to be like perfectly balanced. As long as you're aware that those that, that scale is moving and that maybe as one side gets a little heavier, you need to, you know, maybe take a little bit out and put it into this side. Um, you just have to stay conscious that that, that is a factor. Um of life and do the best you can to keep it keep it balanced however you feel it needs to be balanced so mm-hmm. that's uh hmm. but we also you know as much as we talk about how we, we plan it and how we execute it like with myself my wife is like my support system i i could not do the job i do mm-hmm. with without my without my wife I wouldn't be able to be the dad that I am without my wife because me being gone 
my wife could be complaining about how much she's doing by herself. She could be, um, she, she could be too busy maybe to answer the FaceTime or she could be too busy to just sit down and hold the phone. Cause my, my, the little one, uh, Layton, she loves FaceTime. Mm-hmm. And I know sometimes when I call my wife's in the middle of something, she, you know, she might be cleaning. Uh, she might be writing her workout for her boot camp, but she stops what she's doing when I call and she allows the kids and I to have that time. And um, yeah, a lot of the, a lot of credit definitely goes to, to my wife as far as telling me what's going on when I'm gone. You know, Padley mm-hmm. is having behavior issues or she's been super upset or she keeps me, she keeps me informed so I can be cut in. And if mm-hmm. my daughter's, whatever her issue is, I can jump in and somehow I know, right. Mm-hmm. I, I know, uh, I know what, what, what type of dad I need to be that day without being there. And so that's definitely a necessity as well. When you're, when you're apart, mm-hmm. you have to have that, that understanding, that relationship with um, whoever that person is right mm-hmm. on the other end of the, on the other end of the line so that things can run as smooth as possible. And so that, that plays a big part in making this work is my wife's, you know, dedication to our team and um, yeah, sticking to the plan that we made. And and that's so awesome to see, dude, because that's, that's, that's a whole nother message in itself, communication. Okay. When you're having those wonderful communications with your wife, you know what I mean? And she's able to convey the message that needs to be, given to you at that moment in time, like you just talked about, about behavioral issues, whatever, the car broke down, whatever. When you're doing that and you guys are working together as a team, you're showing your children how a father and a mother in a nuclear family react to a situation. You're showing them how to respond to problems in a healthy way. And they're seeing that. And that's so important. That's, that's, that's like super key, dude. You don't even understand. I mean, because nowadays people don't know how to respond to, to stress. They don't know how to respond to these dilemmas that come up in life, these problems, because they don't have parents that can do that a lot of times. You know what I mean? So when you're able to mimic that and show that in your relationship with your wife, you're teaching your daughters that they, when, when they do find a man, how to work with their husband, the way your wife is working with you. And that's awesome, dude. Yeah, absolutely. And also too, you, uh, you know, like, so I'm here, right. Mm -hmm. And my wife can tell me, you know, the way things are going and she can explain like, Oh, Hadley just has not listened for a couple of days or she's, she just won't stop crying about everything. And so she tells me, right. And I'm not the one there dealing with that. I'm not experiencing that firsthand. I'm not listening to the crying. So it's easy for me to be the level-headed one to come in and say, well, remember that she's four. And so I'll be that voice of reason. But at the same time, I have to remember that the reason that my wife has lost some, she's not, she doesn't have a whole lot of patience to start with. Mm -hmm. But when I can tell that she has lost certain patients, I have to remember that she's there doing it by herself. She's giving all the baths. Mm-hmm. She's making all the food. She's cleaning up all the mess. She's doing all the entertaining. And um, so I try to keep her level-headed the best I can and mm-hmm. on that. And at the same time, if um, 
you know, if I'm just laying around being lazy all day because I'm just tired and burnt out, you know, she'll she'll check me and be like, hey, we haven't heard from you. And not in a bad way, but just kind of, yeah, you know, like, what have you been doing? Um, and so she'll call. It's not like she just won't, she'll sit there and wait for me to call and be like, why didn't you call us? Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's, that's always good too, is the communication, like we talked about. Mm-hmm. She'll, t- she can tell me kind of when to boom up and I can kind of tell her, you know, hey, take it easy. Um, you know, like mm-hmm. we'll get it figured out and just that team teamwork because the kids are watching like they are watching just like just like at work right the apprentice is watching the type of lineman you are at work is the type of lineman that that dude is is gonna be good or bad right they they're watching you and if it's if it's acceptable to you it's gonna be acceptable to them maybe not at first Mm -hmm. but it doesn't take long for you to to get used to something and then the next thing you know, um, the dude who didn't like being yelled at is the is the yeller. And so with the kids, it's definitely something we try to try to be mindful of, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm not by any means a like a, a a screamer or you know an angry person whatsoever um in that aspect. So i my wife and I are always very calm and cool and you know. Because they're they're watching and they're listening. That's for dang sure, dude. Mm-hmm. Level heads prevail, brother. <laughs> With that being said, Ben. Yeah. Um, what bit of advice could you give our listeners to be a show up dad? I would say, just try to be in, intentional um, in your in your plans and in your movement. Right. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of us in life. Um, whether it be your family, a vehicle, a house, a job, you want something so bad. And in your mind, you do anything to get it. And then once you get it, um, and maybe that brand new shine, you know, kind of wears off, maybe you quit, you quit washing your truck, you know, every week, or you get the job and you're showing up 30 minutes early. Next thing you know, it's 10 minutes early and then it's 10 minutes late. Uh, you have to be intentional. If you say that you want something and and once you get it, you have to remember what it felt like before you had it, how bad you wanted it. And I think that can happen with our families. You know, when we were single dudes, you know, out partying, doing whatever, and or maybe just lonely, you're going, man, I just wish I had a family. I wish I had. Then you have the family. And, uh, you know, then you're thinking back and you're watching your single buddies that are going out, right? Mm-hmm. You, you don't want to fall for that grass is greener BS. And I think that's like very common. Guys guys come and hit the road and um you know it makes things tough it's like you know that it's going to be tough when you leave right Mm -hmm. you're away from each other um everything is going to get harder that's part of the sacrifice and so when you leave you got to remember that that's what you signed up for and if it's Mm -hmm. not working then then go home right if if you can't make it work with the wife or with the kids you, you need to go home and regroup you can't just keep moving forward on a, on a broken plan. And I think being intentional and staying focused and remembering why you wanted that and how bad you wanted something, it, it really, if you can remember that, um, it's easier to, uh, it's easier to take care of it and appreciate it kind of, you know, that's mm-hmm. the funny thing. Uh, you know, we're talking so much about, like my, me growing up and my dad. So right now, 
from 14 to 23, I didn't talk to my dad. And then I talked to him. I had one phone conversation with him. Mm-hmm. And I didn't talk to him again until I was like 27. I went up and we, through my sister, we got back in contact. So I drove to Oregon and see my grandma and I saw my dad and I could tell he was still having a lot of issues with, you know, alcohol and stuff. And that's what pushed me to want to get sober. I felt like I was looking in the mirror, mm-hmm. you know, like fast forward. And, uh, and we, in July, June, um, I went up from, uh, to Oregon with my family for my mm-hmm. sister's birthday. We all went on like a family camping trip and dude, I was going back and forth about going to see my dad. He had never met my wife, never met my kids. And, um, I mean, dude, I was like fighting myself the whole couple of days we were there, like on whether I should hit him up or not. And, and I hit him up. I was like, you know what? Like, I just thought about it. Like being younger, like wishing I had a relationship with my dad, better relationship. Right. And here I am an hour away from where he's at. And I was like contemplating skipping that stop. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so we went and saw him, he got to meet my kids. And since that day, dude, I, I, I talked to my dad texting probably daily and then phone calls, you know, at least once a week, a phone call. But, um, dude, it, it's right now my dad's living just on a campground at, at the beach in Oregon. Mm-hmm. All he has, he's got a tent and a bike and, you know, whatever he can carry on his back. And he's like, he says he's content with that. But at the same time, I, I look at myself and here I am, dude, I'm living in a campground mm-hmm. at the beach. Um, I'm not in a tent, you know, I'm in a 44 foot camper, mm-hmm. but looking at our situations right now, I know I'm doing it right. You know, my family's, I have my family still, mm-hmm. um, all my responsibilities are taken care of. And I don't know, I just feel like it's ironic that when we like kind of come back together and, you know, rekindle our relationship. Mm-hmm. we're doing the almost the same thing but at opposite ends of the spectrum right mm-hmm. you can be in the same place doing two separate things and um i'm definitely i'm grateful uh for like all the lessons and the hard times and everything mm-hmm. and uh it's it's almost sad like to kind of you know to think about that he's there just kind of all by himself just somewhat existing i guess yeah but um it's definitely something to remember right everybody got got where they're at somehow some way and that's what i kind of use just to push forward and to stay focused with my family is i could be here in this campground at the beach by myself dude like Mm -hmm. not much of a relationship with my kids years and years lost um you know from bad decisions and things of that sort Mm -hmm. so yeah being aware and kind of taking things in and finding the silver lining in them. Um, that's always something that I've tried to, mm-hmm. to kind of do with my situation. Yeah. And at the end of the day, like you, you hit the nail right in the head, bro. Cause we all have a choice. We all have a choice. You know, I guess the question is, what are you going to choose? You know, are you going to show up? Are you going to be that dad that shows up? You know what I mean? So no, I thank you for coming down here once again, Ben. Thank you for, you know, just sharing with our audience. I know this is going to add tremendous value to the listeners. And uh, how can our audience get a hold of you, brother, if you don't mind sharing with us? Uh, um, Instagram 
working class zero one three i'm always on there posting funny stuff stupid stuff stuff to uh push people's buttons <laughs> but mm. yeah just instagram pretty much okay yeah. well once again i dude, appreciate the show though dude this thing is awesome yeah absolutely bro once again dude just thank you for sharing with us bro this is this has been awesome dude i mean i got some value out of it you know what i mean i i truly wrote down a bunch of notes dude because you had you had some really good insight and i know people are going to be blessed from it you know um once again, this podcast is brought to you by our sponsors at KDAZ Conservative Talk Radio 96.9, the Sun Broadcasting Network, Line 11 Clothing Company, California Lineworks, Monzingo Nyes, and Dr. Stephen Poulter at the Shame Factor. Thank you. This is the show up, Dad. You guys have a wonderful day.